Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. I'm Zack Snyder, and here with me is my other co-host. Yo, what's up? Alex here. Hope everybody's <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> you want to do it again? I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> Some uh, of the best, like, podcast openings I've heard is just people kind of bullshitting, and then halfway through, they're like, oh yeah, we're in a show. <laughs> right? Fuck it. Thor is really good. Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast. Uh, we're going to do something different today. Uh, we went and saw Thor last night. Well, you saw it today, didn't you? Or did you see it yesterday? Yeah, just, just a few hours ago I saw it. So it is fresh in our minds, and it's gotten to the point where we're so excited about it that we wanted to bring it to the podcast and kind of shy away from our general video game talk. Although, there have been one or two pretty decent comic book games in the past. I'd like to see a Planet Hulk game, I'm not going to lie to you. Right? I want to see more Spider-Man. Like, not the Spider-Man we've seen in, like, the, uh, what is it, like, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, but I want to see more, like, old red cartridge, uh, Ultimate Carnage Spider-Man. Oh, like some beat-em-up stuff? That'd be cool. Although, even though Insomniac's take on Spider-Man looks like it's going to be a lot of show rather than substance, I'm still pretty excited to try it. But yeah, Thor Ragnarok, it's out, and it's probably one of the bigger films as far as connecting to the Marvel Universe as a whole. Uh, This one comes directly after the events of Avengers 2, which I considered kind of a lackluster film. There were parts of it that I was like, in Ragnarok, there were references. I'm like, oh, they didn't explain that, like, ever. That's weird. And then I thought about Avengers 2, and I was like, oh, wait, maybe they did. Yeah, that was in Avengers 2. (laughs) Yeah, just little stuff. I wouldn't... I thought it was a really jarry ride in Avengers 2. Just kind of like a, here's a whole lot of story that's not 100% complete. Like, you'll fill in the blanks. Have fun. It definitely felt like like a grandma or somebody had bought you a stack of comic books, but wherever she bought them was missing three or four issues. Just like in random order. And like, you read it anyways, and you're like, yeah, that's how it happened. (laughs) Yes, that's that's such a good way to put it. (laughs) That's exactly what Avengers 2 feels like. Yo, like, well, I got this one. Uh, I skipped an issue. Now we have a. Uh, now Bucky's back doing weird shit. All right, just roll with this. But yeah, so Thor Ragnarok takes place immediately after the events of Avengers 2 and um, Thor Dark World, which again was another one of those movies that was kind of forgettable, had a lot of really funny humor to it, but didn't really move the plot forward much. Now, Ragnarok actually opens with a typical hero's monologue. But it's hilarious because it's all coming from Thor, and he's dangling from a cage in this, like, fire realm that's very similar to, like, hell, essentially. And he's talking to just a skeleton. Well, he's doing this, like, physically to a skeleton, but obviously he's talking to the audience. What did you think of that opening? I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah, I thought it was very clever. I thought it was going to be the, like, just kind of like a monologue in the air, you know, like, and then reflecting on what was going on. And then it showed him talking and I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's it's some breaking the fourth wall. He's talking to the audience. And then he looks down at his feet and pans to the skeleton. And I was like, oh, shit, he's literally fucking talking. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's just telling somebody some story. I was like, all right, big dumb Thor's got this. Like, he's right on track. And I love how he's put immediately in a terrible situation that looks like he's not going to be able to win. He's fighting this ridiculous, powerful being named Surtur or Surser or whatever his name is, the big fire guy. Right. And 
he completely undermines this guy's like goals of taking over Asgard and bringing burning it to the ground, and it's all this apocalyptic talk. And I thought, like, I knew the antagonist of the movie was the goddess of death, but I thought for sure that this was gonna lead into something different than it did. So he immediately beats that guy, takes his crown, straps it to his back, fights his way out of the entire realm, kills a, like, jet-powered dragon, <laughs> and then brings his spoils back to Asgard after apparently months of being there. Like, I just love the whole opening. And then, of course, through the whole thing, you've got Led Zeppelin's immigration song cranked in the background. Right, that was really appropriate for this movie, too. Yeah, because of one line. Hammer of the gods. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you think of Molnir anytime that thing comes through. There's a lot of really good imagery in that song, and it's a cranking '80s tune. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a cranking high, high like beat, high rhythm. Well, I say high beat, but it's you know lots of energy in this song. But it also reflects a lot of different stuff, like from the hammer, and then also now the Asgardians are immigrants themselves on a stolen spaceship with a bunch of other random buddies at the end. It, it, it's just a well-rounded, like, good placement thing. I, I feel like they did a lot for that particular track, because whenever I saw the trailers, I was like, yeah, cool, that makes sense, that's really neat. And then as I was putting my keys back home to get into my house, I thought, oh my god, holy crap, the Asgardians are immigrants. It's the immigrant song. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it, they hit all the levels real subtly, but also in your face at the same time. It was, it was something that I, it was a complexity and uh, just a really well-picked track that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I was not expecting any kind of depth to it. I was just like, music track. Yeah. But then, you know, realizing what it was later, I was like, I know. And if I'm not mistaken, the, that was the only like actual song in the whole movie. I think The rest so. of it was like ambiance 80s synth stuff. Well, unless you... Uh, consider the masters like DJing. Eh. <laughs> Either way, it was the only like mainstream song in the whole film, so there was a lot of significance based on just that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, you can look at the lyrics of the immigrant song, and I, it describes Thor to a T. Oh, somebody was so happy picking that song out. But the soundscape, especially, I thought was a really big part of what made Thor Ragnarok work. It was this kind of Tron synthesized. It was very similar to Stranger Things as far as like theming and ambiance and such. And I don't, I, I, I don't know why that was made as a decision. It feels like a, a weird combination, but it worked really well. Yeah, no, I was, I was really excited with it. I was a little confused, you know, at first when it was like Thor Ragnarok. Why are you Tron-looking text? Right, and then the, um, the poster that they used was. Almost an exact rip of the Altered Beast concept art from the 80s on the Sega. Like the one where it's got all the characters and they're arranged vertically. Yeah, that's directly from Altered Beast. Yeah, when somebody showed it to me on one of the retro forums, I was like, whoa, that's freaking cool. <laughs> so yeah, the whole plot line of Thor Ragnarok is Thor's been having these crazy visions. And it's showing the complete destruction of Asgard. And he's trying to prevent this by taking out the root cause which is that fire demon guy who supposedly, if he enters the Eternal Flame, which is an item that's being held in the catacombs of Asgard in uh, Odin's treasure room, then he can use that power to gain the height of mountains and destroy Asgard as we know it. And Thor wants to prevent that because he likes Asgard. He lives in Asgard. I mean, that's his realm. 
So he's been spending all this time trying to prevent that. What he doesn't realize is that while this is going on, Loki has kidnapped Odin, put him on Earth in a retirement home, kind of wiped his mind a little bit to where he's not fully capable of making decisions, and he's basically lost his Asgardian powers. And then Loki disguises himself as Odin and takes his place. So then Thor comes in and slowly... Well, I guess rather quickly, because I, I assume he's been away for a long time, so he's just now coming back to Asgard. And he almost immediately is like, something's weird here. And then puts, quote-unquote, Odin in a, in a situation where if he was Loki, he would have to reveal himself or die. And that happens, and Loki pops up, and it's a big hilarious thing, because, like, Loki's just like, Hey, hey, you caught me! I'm a mischievous little fella! That, that parallels their relationship really, really well. Uh, yeah. Especially because later on, you have Thor with uh, Banner and the Valkyrie talking, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's tried to kill me forever. He's, he thought I he made himself a snake, and I love snakes, and I picked him up, and then he turned back into himself and just stabbed me and was like, hey, I tricked you. <laughs> I love that story so much. <laughs> and you know me, I love snakes. They're just they're beautiful creatures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and you then know, they look over at Loki, and Loki's like shrugging his shoulders, like, "Yeah, that was me." <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you know, don't they and, make a reference to him having sex with a horse in the last movie? I swear they did. Yeah, yeah. In one of the movies, yeah, yeah, they yeah. made reference to it, and he's like, mm. <laughs> he, "He kind <laughs> of like he super eloquently dodges that question into some yeah. other things going on." I love what they've done with the because I mean, obviously, a lot of this stuff comes from the comics, but I, I love that the. The directors are very aware that people are aware both of the comic line and of Norse mythology, and they play with that. Right, and this is, for anybody who doesn't know, is extremely different than the Norse mythology. Stuff happens incredibly different, and Thor has a bunch more siblings and relatives that are integral in, like, the actual Ragnarok scene. Right. And we do see the most blatantly obvious one is uh, Fenrir, is, and they call him Fenris. Which I don't know which is proper. I always preferred Fenrir. Anyways, I've always called Fenrir as well. Instead of being like this ridiculously powerful thing that's supposed to eat the world serpent, it's just like a big wolf. Which is cool, don't get me wrong. I, I loved it, but... <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, because... I don't know, I was, I was confused by it at first, and I was like, oh yeah, I was like, well at least all these characters are like... some. Most of the main points are hit here. <clears throat> so Thor, after he discovers Loki is who he is, he... He basically forces him to show him where Odin is. So they go back to Midgard, which is Earth, and try to find him. Well, they arrive at the the, the retirement Old folks home. home. <laughs> yeah, and it's completely demolished, and Loki's like, I swear I left him right here. And then all of a sudden, Loki disappears. He just falls in a fucking portal. So it immediately connects to Doctor Strange, which is interesting. Because there's a whole scene where Thor is very off-put by how Strange does things. Because he's being teleported everywhere. He he gives him a, 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 a cup of tea and he says, I don't drink tea. And then he turns it into a big giant beer mug. Thor promptly drains it, as he does. And then it refills. And like the pure joy in Chris Hemworth's eyes were very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, this is this is great. I'll I'll keep talking to you for a while. Yeah, you have my attention. And then he gets frustrated when he's continuously teleported about, spills the beer, 
Uh, Doctor Strange then teleports him to where Odin actually is. But I think the significance of Doctor Strange being in this movie is that Doctor Strange is a very powerful character in the Marvel Universe. But in his film, he's not really portrayed as such. He bends reality and does really crazy mystic shit. But Doctor Strange is learning very quickly. And he's developing his powers. And we see that in Thor Ragnarok. This guy is ridiculous. Right, you know, and he's he's got the uh, the mental know-how. Like, you can see it when he pulls Loki out of the, uh, what, falling for 30 minutes or so, like, portal. Oh, yeah. Because he's put him into a black hole when he stole him. And he's just falling through this portal and just flops on the floor. And he was like, you can take it from here. <laughs> and, you know, this is Doctor Strange, the mystic defender of Earth. And he's now faced with two Asgardian gods. One of which who's very angry with them, and he's like, ah, yeah, fuck it. And just throws the portal at them instead of messing around with anything else and closes it. He's like, I don't got time for this. It definitely puts Doctor Strange in a hierarchy of power to the point that he has literally no fear of the Asgardians. When in all honesty, he should very much fear both of them. Yeah, yeah. Any, any normal person absolutely would and should. I'm sure he wouldn't yeah. want to fight them, you know, head on. Exactly. But, you know, what's your repertoire of uh, infinite magical spells going to be useful for if you're not going to, you know, keep them at bay anyway? And I really, I have to reiterate that Cumberbatch is such an awesome choice for Doctor Strange. I mean, he's perfect. Yeah, the only the only other choice I would have even thought for it would have been uh, Robert Downing Jr., but he's already Iron Man. Right, and here's my problem with the Doctor Strange film, is it had a lot of similar beats to Iron Man. Don't get me wrong, visually, that film is brilliant. There's a lot mm. of really cool stuff in it. But as far as, like, plot structure, it hits almost, like, scary amounts of Iron Man-level scripting. So I didn't find it nearly as good as, say, the original Iron Man because of that kind of repeat in the script writing. But from here, Thor and Loki discover Odin. They have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Um, he acknowledges that he's proud of his sons, and he essentially dies and becomes one with the Earth in, like, this... The only way Marvel could, I get. Well, that's that's not true, but he does a stereotypical <laughs> like fades into glitter and blows into the wind into the ocean. Yeah. And from and from that point, it immediately, I mean, immediately unlocks the the third goddess of death, the third child of Odin, and she just storms in and starts kicking the shit out of him. Yeah, and this is where it's like, no, 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 like you don't get it. I'm the most powerful. I'm Odin's firstborn. We've wrecked shit together. It's like, well, he's really mm -hmm. dead. They get into the fight. And, you know, this is the point where Thor's hammer is shattered. Like, right. not even like, you know, some other stuff happened to it. She literally just, like, grabs it up from the air and's like, ah, yeah, you don't know what power is, and just smashes Mjolnir with her hand. And that is the first thing she does. Because obviously Thor is come across with a, an obstacle. His first thoughts, he's going to throw the hammer at it. He loves that hammer. It's like his, an extension of his arm. So he throws it, and it gets immediately destroyed. And it basically breaks how Thor, like, views himself and his environment. Yeah, because that's... You know, it was literally the extension of him and his arm. Like, he had mm -hmm. no other idea how to do things at that point. So from there, they try to run away via the Rainbow Bridge. And they are teleported, and it accidentally picks up um hella alongside the ride the goddess of death and of course this is kind of loki's fault because he 
asked to be teleported, and Thor is like, no, that's a terrible idea. So in the middle of the Rainbow Bridge transport, they both get cast into space. Hela arrives on uh, Asgard, immediately kills some of the most beloved side characters in the Marvel franchise in seconds of her arrival. I don't remember their names. Sif was one of them, I think. And then yeah. the dwarf guy, and then the, the rapier guy. I mean, just kills him immediately. No remorse, no nothing. There's not even a moment of, like, there's there's no funeral passage or anything for these characters. They're just dead. Yeah, and, you know, that's it's Thor's basic first-off adventuring party, his buddies that you've mm-hmm. seen in the other films, and they're just, they're, they've become from integral players to cannon fodder. The reason for this was to show how powerful the Goddess of Death was. Because at the end of the day, we all kind of knew the Dark Elves weren't that big of a threat. Because Thor could beat them on his own, so to speak. But here we have a villain that shows up, puts Thor under her thumb, and then just immediately uproots all of Asgard. And claims it as her own. Yeah, not to mention her power coming from Asgard as she's there. So she just gets stronger. And then she unlocks the secrets of her and Odin's battle-ridden past. Like, all the bloodshed, the zombie soldiers, the giant wolf, it all comes back. And it shows that she was one of the earlier wielders of Mjolnir. Oh yeah, it does. They don't touch base on it, but Thor even sees it later on when he comes back in. Mm -hmm. He sees the broken ceiling, all the the bloodbath pictured, and her holding Mjolnir. Which I'm sure was a sore spot. Yeah, and this is really the end of Act 1. This movie does follow the traditional, like, three-act rhythm. And as we move into Act 2, Thor is cast aside. He's he's stranded on a, a planet that's literally has all these, these portals that are dumping trash onto this planet. It's just a pile of waste and scrap, as far as the eye can see. And Thor wakes up, is immediately captured, and put into a gladiatorial situation. But I like how, in this film, we are... We took a character who's very confident in himself, he's very powerful, and just immediately humbled him and stuck him in a horrible situation that he's having a real hard time getting through. So we see Thor struggle, both physically and as a character, through the entire second act. He's met with a a real quick wake-up call, which I'm slightly confused about to an extent. Like, this is where one of my criticisms will come in, because when he's initially captured from his fall out of the intergalactic trash chute. He's hit with an electric net that stuns him, but he's the god of thunder. Ah, see, at that point, he... I think this comes back to the fact that Mjolnir was his his catalyst and his, the way he channeled his energy. So you take that away and there's gonna be a period of him being basically just a strong guy. That's how I interpreted that scene. But... Here is also where we're introduced to probably one of my favorite female characters in the entire Marvel storyline, and that is the Valkyrie. Now, the Valkyrie is the type of chick who will drain an entire fifth of vodka, spit in your face, kick you in the nuts, and you'll like every second of it. She (laughs) is amazing as a character. She captures Thor, she sells him to the Grandmaster for his... Contest of Champions, which is a mobile game and a major plot point in several of the comics. But she throws him in that, and he she, like, completely dominates him. Yeah, and, you know, it's, you know, counter to anything you've thought about Thor. He's he's the strong one and can figure it out, but he's, again, put right under a thumb from this girl. 
Yeah. And <laughs> and that comes back with there is slightly a romantic connection between Valkyrie and Thor, and even the Hulk at some points. But I like <laughs> the fact that at the end of the movie, there's no like romantic kiss. There's no, oh, they're totally together. This is Thor's new squeeze. It's she's a character. She might have sex with him. There's kind of some flirtiness going on. But it wasn't like driven home like, hey, this character is, exists to be a romantic interest for another character. She stands aside as her own character, and I think she makes her way stronger. Yeah, I think it makes the, the whole character way, way stronger, too. Because it doesn't make you, like, the love side of something. You, she's she's her. And she drives the plot, too. She's a major plot driver in the in the second act. So then, here's where the movie takes a turn to quite literally something I would have been absolutely giddy about if it wasn't for the fact that they showed Hulk in all the opening trailers. They basically take the Planet Hulk storyline, condense it, and shove it into Thor Ragnarok's second act. It is one of my favorite storylines in comics just because I love the brutality of it. And if you're not familiar with it, basically what happens in the comics is Hulk is such a danger that the Avengers agree they need to send him away. So they basically put him on a ship, put that ship on a direct line to a black hole, and are trying to get rid of him. He destroys the ship, crash lands on a planet, goes through the whole gladiatorial thing, becomes basically their king, creates another intergalactic travel system that he then travels back to Earth and beats the snot out of every single Avenger. Yeah, he's, he's none too happy about being shot away. But in right. that time, he doesn't he even have a wife in that time? Yeah, he gets a wife with that same alien planet. She's a warrior princess or queen or something. Or maybe she's just really cool. But the, the parallels between the Planet Hulk storyline and what they shoved into Ragnarok are really strong because we have Korg, who's the rock guy, and the rock <laughs> guys were in the first appearance of Thor, which is why they showed up in Planet Hulk. And Thor or Korg is hilarious. He's a really big point of humor in the in the movie. There's Meek, who's the little bug guy, which is pretty cool. I, I loved seeing Meek. Yeah. And then there's the whole gladiatorial setup. And they don't dwell on that too much, which I thought made it better. They there's only one gladiatorial fight through the whole thing, and that's between Hulk and Thor. Yeah, and they they make it a point to reiterate that, you know, we've been fighting a lot and these people are dead. Like, look at Doug. Hey Doug. Oh. D Doug used to think that. I miss Doug. And then he's like, nope, I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go fight the champion. Oh, okay. See you later, new Doug. <laughs> I, I love the the way the script was written from a humor standpoint had a lot of really great moments. Just really funny lines, really in-character sort of reactions to things. Like, I, I adored it. It was really funny. Yeah, some of the lines, like, a lot of them that hit the humor home are really hammy, but they don't mispace everything to become hammy. They're... Right. They're, especially between, like, Thor and when he's first talking to, like, intelligent Hulk, he's, like, just bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're two big, dumb characters that, I mean, they're not stupid, but they're, you know, block-headed. Yeah. And they're just arguing nonsense don't throw things yeah no, you threw it first <laughs> <laughs> yeah like then later on you know they're arguing a second time and fucking hulk throws a shield into the wall and he's like you... yeah i know hulk sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know because that that shows the like you know i i definitely did something i shouldn't have done 
realization, and that 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 really hits home more of his intelligence. Yeah, I, I love the whole. There's a lot of banter between. A lot of the the funny moments come from two characters interacting, whether it's Korg and Thor, or Thor and Hulk, or um, Loki and Valkyrie. Like all, a lot of the humor is kind of written as a two way street. And it, it's almost always funny. There wasn't a single moment where a joke was presented that I didn't laugh. Right. Oh, the, like, the crowning favorite for me, which will be a favorite for a lot of people, too, was the realization of Loki going, oh, shit, that's the Hulk. I've got to get off this planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-uh. And the Master's like, oh, hey, come watch. And then he does the same thing to Thor that he did to Loki in Avengers, and Loki basically, like, turns into a ball and shies away. That was great. Or no, yeah, he gets no, excited. Yeah, he gets excited. He's like, you know, yes, that's how that feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Master's like, what? <laughs> He's like, I'm just, 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 just a really big fan of this sport. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I really enjoyed about the humor, is a lot of it was based on the connections of two characters. And... Whenever I first saw Avengers 2, the whole reason Hulk is on this planet is because he was he was in a ship fighting something and the ship took a wrong turn and flew into the galaxy. And you see at one point Black Widow say, hey, big guy, if you're up there, I need you to come home. Everybody misses you. Like, we're really worried about you. And it's not until like that scene when I saw it in Avengers 2, I was like, oh, this would be a great connection to Planet Hulk. That'd be sweet. And then I didn't realize it until the Hulk is presented with that very video footage and turns back into Banner that I made the connection between the two films. And that made Avengers 2 seem better to me because they followed up on some of the things that they presented in that. I don't mind a really jarry something it's like Avengers 2 if it can be re-rounded in other works. Yeah. Some of that stuff, though, is just not roundable. <laughs> I mean, they could have had the whole, like just assume all Hulk ended up on this planet, who knows how. They could have had that, and I guess I would have been okay with it. I, I would have questioned it for sure, but I enjoy the fact that they put that little scene in there that was pivotal to bringing the Hulk back into Banner and joining Thor that really made it special. Because you see that the Hulk still has feelings for Natasha. Um, it's It humanizes him once again, and then Banner freaks out. Yeah, oh, he really freaks out. He's like, this is a planet designed to stress me. If I turn into the Hulk again, I'm probably not coming back. Which I guess we still don't know if that's true because he does turn back into the Hulk towards the end of the film. Right. And he doesn't go back into Banner when he's on the ship, I don't think. I don't know. I didn't see. I don't think it showed at the end, actually. I thought for certain he stayed as the Hulk, but I don't know. I'd have to see it again. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the very end, he he is the Hulk. Yeah, Because they're okay. all in that, uh, the, uh, for it. The, like, giant colony level ship. But as the, the second, and here's where the the really cool fight happens between Hulk and Thor. And the, my major criticism with this film is a lot of the action scenes, specifically stuff that's like wire choreography and some of the CG tweening, it makes it look really fake. And a lot of the scenes in that fight scene in particular were very jarring to me because it's super bright. And all the characters are, like, super reflective. And it, like, hyper-focuses on the characters, which kind of works, but there are a lot of moments where I feel like 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back on the chore choreography and, and the CG of this film and just kind of shake our heads. Because a lot of it d 
didn't look as polished as some of the other stuff they presented in the very same film. Right. In the way that this is presented and is shiny, um, like you're saying, is something that I have actually slight worries about uh, as we're coming into Black Panther too, Because it's oh. got the same real bright, real, like, heavy-hitting, like, aesthetic, especially with even some of its, like, Ugandan tech-type stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that they're going to touch base on that type of uh, presentation in that movie as well and lose some of the some of what could make it better. Right. But I feel like they could have toned down some of that brightness and just kind of make it a little more grittier, quote unquote. But then again, we've had gritty action movies for probably a decade and it is getting kind of stale. So I don't know. But that was just my major criticism of the film was a lot of those scenes didn't quite gel for me. I think my most major criticism would be that Odin's dead, like right off the bat. Like he yeah, comes his in death and it's... isn't nearly as significant as it could have been. No, I mean the characters feel it. They, I guess, they knew it was coming for a while, yeah, but it was just growth. kind of a a very sudden thing. Like, oh, we found Odin. Odin's dead. Yeah, he has a nice heart-to-heart chat. He says, "I'm old," and then he poofs into glitter. Kind of wish he wouldn't have poofed into glitter. Yeah. Because all the other characters, whenever they die, it's very visceral. They get stabbed by something, they're laying down on the ground. Which Hmm. I guess kind of translates into the the idea that Odin is a god. He's an otherworldly being. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. As the stuff goes on and we get into Infinity War, which I'm really curious how they're going to do it, because I'm hearing and reading different things about how the movie's gonna go down. One of which, yeah. one theory of which has got me confused because they're talking about it being set up like a heist movie. Um, that would be weird, because that's what they did for Ant-Man. Yeah. Yeah, so it'd be like, you know, the fucking Italian job, the Avengers Infinity War. Which definitely would be a strange way to go about it, because we're all picturing this epic fight and all these different character beats and all these big redemption moments. I, I'm still in the camp that I would like to see Captain America die. I think that's what's going to happen. I think it would be the best thing for the the Avengers as a whole. And then it gives the opportunity for Bucky to step in with the shield, as he does in the, in the comics several times. And it would make sense for his character. Yeah, in the, in the cinematic universe, for sure. Because the comic yeah. universes are way different. And uh, the Thanatos fight is very one-sided in the comics. Yeah, so I, I would like to see Captain America eat it in some heroic fashion, and then maybe at the end of the film, Bucky picks up the shield. But then again, these are all things that I'd like to see, but that's also very predictable. So I'd like to see Marvel surprise us in some way, shape, or form. Yes, I love surprises. Because I was honestly surprised with Ragnarok. I thought it was going to be very similar to uh, some of the other Marvel movies we've seen that are just kind of fun romps that don't necessarily connect to the larger plots at hand but this one was in fact a fun romp but it still made those connections to the other films in the universe yes i was i was very pleased with it like it all around touched as a marvel cinematic universe movie and it it was just exciting like if you haven't seen it by the time you hear this episode it's it's pretty important that you take the time to see it now, the, as we move into the third act, and obviously there's a lot of things we're glossing over. There were some really good um, interactions with Jeff Goldblum's character, the Grandmaster. 
a lot of the actors did a fantastic job portraying their characters. A lot of them were very um, grounded. There was there was good pacing and delivery and all of this. But as we move into the third act, that's when the big battle happens between Thor and Hela. And this is probably the biggest moment. Well, okay, so at the end of Act 2, they they team up with the Hulk, Thor, Valkyrie, and they all get on, they fight through the, the planet, they get on a ship, and they go back to Asgard. And the whole thing about this is Thor realizes that he can't do it alone, and he makes sacrifices in order to get people on his side. So he, he makes compromises, especially with the Hulk. He's like, man, I don't know, the big green guy, he's not my favorite. You're my favorite, Banner. Uh, but to be honest, there's a lot of compromises that Thor makes. Yeah, and he's, you see him trying. Yeah. Like, I feel like that specific compromise was him trying to, like, channel his inner Loki. And, oh, yeah. And try one of these tactics, like, you know, no, Hulk, Banner, Banner's a... All oh, this science number, guys. I like you the best. And we see probably the best example of this in the elevator when he's riding upwards with Loki. And Loki says something about them always butting heads. And Thor goes, I adored you when I was younger. I thought we were going to battle and have amazing adventures for the rest of our lives. And you see Loki hesitate for a second. And it yeah. really shows that these two brothers, at the end of the day, still love each other very much. And would probably die for each other. I like that, because that, that there parallels really nicely into, like, the uh, the Norse mythos. Before mm -hmm. Loki, like, you know, brings about all this fucking nonsense and tries to kill everybody. And, you know, does and doesn't at the same time. But it, it poses him, like, you get to see that depth of him being like, yes, you know, that's... That's among the tender, warm things that I actually want, but don't, he never says. Yeah, so Thor grows as a character by kind of seeing through the eyes of all these other characters. And then in turn, we see all these other characters face their challenges and accept them. Banner accepts the fact that he is the Hulk and that he is really strong, but he also uses his smarts to present a solution. Valkyrie faces the fear that she has for Hela, gets on that ship and goes with them. Loki faces the fact that he's a terrible person, but he's going to try to do something to make it right. And and everybody grows just a little bit, and it makes them a little bit more rounded. And it, it works really well in the context of the film alone, but in the grand scheme of things, works exceptionally well. And, you know, in this whole, like, character growth thing, what I really liked was with Loki, like, you can see him growing... But he's still not casting aside his mischievous side. Like, it seems right. like he's rounding off some of the, like, more evil intention sides. Especially, like, because he's still pretty full of himself. Like, when they park the ship at the end and he comes in and he's like, your savior has arrived. Yeah. <clears throat> but also, before that, when, uh, is it Meeks, no, Krieg? Korg is the rock guy. Korg's the right rock guy, Meeks the, the bug guy. So, yeah. when Meek untraps him when uh, Thor has just trapped him back uh, in the same trap he was in when he was originally captured. You know, he's like, hey man, we're uh, we're about to get on that ship and get out of here. You want to come with us? And Loki's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you look like you're sorely lacking in leadership. He's just like, thank you. Yeah, 
So, like, like so Loki like, basically leads this little ragtag resistance group. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still pretty full of myself, and you guys look real dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but I he doesn't try to kill him or steal it. At the end of the movie, really everybody is saved by Loki making the decision to go back to Asgard and save his people. Yeah. That's the biggest moment for Loki in the entire thing. And then he fights alongside them on the bridge when the shit gets real. And it's great. I love seeing him use his helmet for more than just a fucking a shiny helmet piece. Yeah, and that was highlighted in the credits, so apparently whoever designed that was real proud of it. I'm I'm real glad. Because <laughs> they, they deserved it. I was super caught into it. For, yeah. You know, having a, a functional prop piece, which I'm sure was CGI'd the hell out of, but having that choreographed in there like, yeah, I have this, this nice horned helmet that I'm now using as my other weapon. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But here's the moment where... In the third act, there's a lot of really great moments for Thor. Not only does he change as a character, which we see throughout the entire film, he's slowly growing into the, the idea of being the king of Asgard, but towards the end of the movie, he slowly is taken apart and then really represents a parallel to Odin. He loses an eye in the fight. He's got that huge mark that uh, he ends up having to wear an eye patch very similar to his father. Whenever he first attacks Hell, he's sitting on the throne with his spear and then fights her with that at first. And, of course, we completely glossed over the fact that Thor has the... He realizes that he has an innate, ridiculous electric power that basically turns him into a very literal god of lightning and yeah. thunder. And, and they, they th highly parallel where, uh, Raiden. Or any, like, Raiden Raiden from uh, Mortal Kombat. It's like, you see that exact yeah. stylization into the yeah, Thunder it, God it was mode. super similar. The, the really bright eyes, the blue lightning swirling about, the floating a little bit. And that's where Thor learns that Molnir was just a catalyst. The actual strength in his abilities have has been with him. It doesn't matter what weapon he uses. He's ridiculously powerful. But he still can't beat Hela. He basically dumps his entire MP bar into her, and she shrugs it off. And then he mentions, hey, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hit her with the most lightning blast of lightning blasts, and it didn't really do anything. Yeah. So that's when, and the big moment for, for this, and we, we completely glossed over the fact that Heimdall was involved with the Resistance. There was a whole thing going on in Asgard while Thor was doing his thing. So there's like Act 2A and Act 2B and... But Heimdall was really cool. That's all we need to know. Um, the big moment in this act is, of course, the end, when they realize we can't kill Hela, but somebody we know certainly might. So that's when they go into the the treasure hold. Loki specifically does this. Grabs the, the helmet, tosses it into the <laughs> Eternal Flame, and starts Ragnarok. Because at the end of the day, Asgard is not a place, it's the people. Yeah, and that... that hits nice and close to home with the uh, the whole uh, tie-in with the immigration song and then becoming immigrants yep. themselves because they are the Asgardian people. Wherever home is, is their Asgard. And that's when everything really started to click together for me as I looked from the, like, a, an astral projection sort of, of my, as myself looking at the film and its pieces and realizing, wow, this all really meshes pretty well together. Everything just makes sense. I guess uh, rounding closer into the uh, the end of the film too, when Loki's 
what was I can't even remember what he said on the ship flying to the uh, the vault. He said something to himself that was pretty pretty heavy for him, being like, "This is a bad idea" or something. Oh, he says, "This is madness." This is madness. Yeah, <laughs> coming from the guy who loves that, he's going, "Ah, oh, shit." Uh, and that's great because he he realizes how much shit this is, and it's like above his scale, or you know, a scale that he was not ready to approach. Yeah, uh, and we'll talk about some of the secrets once we wrap up the third act because there are some little moments that'll kind of lead us into whether it's an Easter egg or something that'll be a part of Infinity War likely. There's a couple little things that we'll talk about towards the end. But there, there's a lot of really good action moments in this. You have the Valkyrie coming back with a Gatling gun, uh, Banner jumping out of a, a ship and slapping against the, the Rainbow Bridge and just <laughs> kind of laying there so for great. a second. Because <laughs> Fenrir is getting ready to tear apart the citizens of Asgard. And Banner turns to the Valkyrie and he goes, you're going to realize who I am, but you're just going to have to wait and see. And then he jumps off and flops. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, because even Fenrir's like, what the fuck is this? And's like nudging it around like, oh, well, yeah. it doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, looks like it took itself at. And when it zooms in to Banner, he's like broken. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... His hand he, is twisted weird. Like, Yeah, yeah, you see the thud and it's like every bit of... It's everything minus like a blood spatter you would imagine from somebody falling off of a building. Like this is yeah. more of a gruesome relation to it, but you know, the like twisted up leg the body piled weird like it was pretty realistic all things considered (laughs) yeah but then of course the hulk comes back and he he fights fenrir and it's really cool because the hulk versus a giant wolf is a great like image and he actually the only reason he kills fenrir is he throws him off the side of asgard and who who knows where that leads i guess space yeah that's a that's a good question i guess that's more of like a flat earther thing yeah the the flat asgard yeah, he throws him off the edge of the world, essentially. And, <laughs> like, and then, like, Thor, basic, he, he barely beats off Hela. T- together, everybody can kind of keep her at bay. That way, the Ragnarok can happen. Uh, Surtur, basically, he, he kills her in one shot by shoving that giant sword through her yeah. and blows up Asgard. But as Asgard <laughs> is, like, self-destructing, uh, the Hulk runs over and to Thor's dismay, is trying to destroy the giant monster put in front of him. And they're like, no, 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 we want this. Like, this is this is part of the plan. And then Hulk kind of, like, saddenly walks over and is like, oh, but big monster. Like, that's what he wants to do. He wants to beat up stuff. Yeah, and, and another shining moment of his intelligence, because if they'd have shouted that at a Hulk from, like, the first Avengers or any other time like that, he wouldn't even have bat an eyelash. He would have just went fucking berserk more. Yeah, it wouldn't have changed the situation at all. So we do have a much more intelligent Hulk. He, he's a very simple speaker, but he's much more intelligent. And that's my favorite version of the Hulk. Yeah, he, he knows what's going on. Like, he can process the thoughts. He can think about them, weigh situations. But he knows what he wants to do, and he's going to go try it. And, you know, they're just being like, no, 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 no. And he's like, but but that's that's the thing I do. Shush, I, I Hulk, I smash. Come on. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> Just for once. But it, it was really cool because then everybody reconciles. They jump on the ship and they're immigrating to Earth. And there's a couple really funny lines and everybody's just kind of happy. But the biggest moment in the final moments of the movie is Thor sitting down at the helm of the ship and then saying, 
here is your throne, my lord, or my liege, or my king, or whatever. And he sits down, and he's basically assumed the role that Odin had left behind. Right, and he's got everybody at their side. Yeah, he's he's assembled not only the citizens of Asgard, but the citizens of Asgard and some very powerful friends that are willing to stand by his side no matter the circumstance. <laughs> then, uh, what, Corgan, Corgan Meek? Yeah, they, they're trying to figure <laughs> out where they're going to go, and then... Korg is, like, carrying around the little grub of Meek, which Meek in this film, instead of being, like, a mantis sort of thing, is a grub that pilots, like, a, a, a metal contraption suit. Very similar to Pickle Rick, the more I thought about it. Oh, yeah, that's that's a really strange connection, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he's holding Meek, and Korg is like, oh, well, or Thor says, well, where's Meek from? We can go where he lives. And then Korg's like, oh, this is just a corpse. I, I felt really bad. I, I I stepped on him on the bridge, you know. It's a uh, terrible situation. I haven't been able to bring myself to put him down yet. And then he, like, shakes back to life, and he's like, oh, Meek's alive. And then Loki just kind of, or one of them says, all right, I guess we're going to Earth then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which Thor. I assume they're going to Norway, where Odin was looking off in the distance and says, man, this is a nice place. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be really cool. Um, mm. So now let's talk about the, the end credit scene and the little secrets and things that were found. We obviously talked about some of the imagery that shows up in the promotion materials being uh, reflections of like the, the Sega era. You've got the Tron lettering, the, the 80s synth music. That's all well and good. But at the very end of the credit after credit scene, Thanos's ship shows up. What we assume is Thanos's ship anyways. Yeah, it's it's to be expected, especially because they're on, you know, a fucking intergalactic spaceship that can house all of the people from Asgard that they could get to escape. Yeah. And this ship looks like it's the fucking pinky toenail of the ship that just pulled beside it. Yeah, it is a huge size comparison, and it makes sense because Thanos was always depicted as, like, a giant of a man, or a being, so he stands well above and beyond most of the buildings, even. Yeah. But it's it's one of those things that, like, we just have to assume it's Thanos because of where the next movies are going to be and how big that ship is in comparison. And it's definitely a threat. So we just kind of have to assume that's Thanos. Yeah, I would, I would not assume any other way. And not to mention the side of that ship looked like a face of some sort. Yeah, it did have a, a very grim visage to the front of it but what's interesting is there there's a couple different scenes that kind of relate everything back together and i think infinity war may have a scene if not start with it where it picks up here because i'm pretty certain loki is holding an infinity stone currently because he walks by the tesseract and has a moment of like "Ooh, yeah that's a cool thing i missed that thing and i guarantee he pocketed it oh yeah and i mean if you relate it back into, for like, D&D terms for us, like, any of our characters ever, passing that in that kind of situation would be like, this is important, it's coming with me. Throw this yeah. helmet in the fire and start Ragnarok now. Yeah. And that also makes it to where, you know, Asgard was completely demolished. It was 100% destroyed. And if it had been, where would the Infinity Stone being? Floating in space? That's not fun. Let's give it to Loki. 
So off the top of my head, I know of a couple different Infinity Stones. Uh, Doctor Strange has one. Loki probably has one. And then Vision is one. So right. Vision, of course, will have to die because he dies in the actual comic book series and it's a big moment. And I foresee that coming in this. Um, and then there's a couple other Infinity Stones floating around. There's a dark one somewhere. Yeah, there's a... In a Doctor Strange has one. The Guardians should have one, I believe. There's what? There's Are there five or six? Five? Okay, so we got the Tesseract is the blue. Doctor Strange has the green. Vision has the yellow. The Mind Stone. Yeah. I think it was yellow. Oh, there's the list. Soul is the green one. I believe that one Doctor Strange has. There's actually yes. six stones. Six stones. Okay, so we do have the five there. And the thought is that there's one more stone hiding, like, in some fan theories I've been reading that... Uh-huh talk about it gonna show up in black panther that's a possibility yeah yeah because i mean there's one stone completely unaccounted for and that would make sense on why wakanda has such a technological advantage over the world on the other hand if it doesn't show up there it could also tie together with how at least in the comics the infinity stones kind of work they want to seek each other out is the like baseline of it that's why loki and Thor spend a lot of time looking for other Infinity Stones. is because they have a Tesseract and can kind of feel where the other stones are from them. But mm -hmm. you don't know if that's the reason in the cinematic universe versus the comic. But if Thanos has one and he pulls up beside Thor's new Asgard immigrant ship and Loki has one, Thanos could be like, Yeah, well, see, I have this stone and I feel one on your ship. Like, I feel the pool of them. And that could be... The the last stone, because I just found a chart that shows what is what and where they were introduced. The The mind stone was in Winter Soldier, uh, Age of Ultron, Civil War. That's the one that um, Vision is. Space stone was the Tesseract. Um, reality was the Dark World Aether, which is the one that I was trying to think of, the black one. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy had the Power Stone, is what this is suggesting. And then they're also suggesting that Doctor Strange has the time zone. The one we're missing is the Soul Stone. And the Soul Stone could be in Black Panther. That would be kind of a, a funny that'd be kind of a funny like pop culture thing, I think. But I would I would rather prefer that Thanos just maybe has one, and maybe that explains why he's looking for them. See, I like that in my head though, like if we're gonna have Thanos have one, it'll be great. If not having had Thanos, like, moved pieces, like, on a chessboard kind of way, to where all the uh, all of the Infinity Stones kind of gather in one spot, Earth, um, or close by, <clears throat> that he's able to fly under the radar and just follow them until they're all gathered, and then he can kind of swoop in and be like, Scoop mine! Up. Just like Vegeta and Frieza did for the Dragon Balls. <laughs> yep. But uh, that's the only stone we're missing so far is the soul one. Now, here's the other funny thing that I thought is pretty interesting, is whenever they're going through the treasure room, uh, Hela walks by the Infinity Gauntlet and says, ah, it's fake. So I don't know if that is actually the Infinity Gauntlet, because that wasn't possibly picked up by Loki. I imagine him picking up the Tesseract. That makes sense. But to him also steal the Infinity Gauntlet doesn't make as much sense. So I don't think that actually is the Infinity Gauntlet. That might be something that Thanos just has, 
or yeah. maybe it's just a part of his body or something. Right. He might. It might be something that he makes too. That's true. Yeah, but, he could forge it. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the origins of the actual gauntlet. But anyways, that's the the major scene. The um the final after credit scene is just the fact that Jeff Goldblum's character survives. Uh, the planet that he's on is not too keen on him, and he just has a funny line, and it's over. Yeah, and I, I love his funny line because it continues with him being, you know, full of himself the whole time and, and aware of it. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, you won. You know, I played an integral part in it, too. It's a draw. <laughs> <laughs> like, how's this a draw? Like, there's an, like an army of people looking at you in your crashed ship, and you have nothing. Right. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 it's totally a draw. That, that character just cracks me up. For the longest time, I associated him with the Collector because they're very similar. Even though Goldblum has like an entire civilization, the Collector kind of kept to himself. I thought for cer for some reason, I thought they were the same. And then I got to looking at it and I was like, oh, they are different. Because their ideals are very similar. They're just gathering things and he gathers people, characters. But yeah. yeah, so that was Thor Ragnarok. I mean, where would you place that as far as in relation to the other Marvel films? Oh, definitely one of the top of the list. Like, you know, you had the first Avengers, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And the first, like, full gathering of everybody in the comics. Or in all of the different uh, universes put together. But Thor Ragnarok is touching base on all of these points. <clears throat> using the foundation that was built and showing, like, one of the high points that you can reach. Having had all that set up. Mm-hmm. Because they, they already have a, ha a history to go with, and it's just using it to just skyrocket itself. It's going to be one of the top. If it doesn't sell that much in theaters, screw it. It's still going to be one of the best ones. Right. And I think that's... Everything is kind of lit up. And here's the thing. The, the Marvel Universe is the most successful movie franchise, period. It officially has reached that record. It's well known that it's well above and beyond Star Wars everything which was the original most selling franchise but even if the Infinity War doesn't go well they're already building to continue it just in case we saw them make the the assumption the, the, the knowledge known that they are possibly buying back a lot of their licenses from Fox like the X-Men like Fantastic Four if they do that we could definitely see Avengers vs. X-Men, which was a recent comic line in the past five or six years that was integral to the main 616 universe. Yes. Oh, oh. Uh, that's exciting because, I mean, yeah. this will be a gruesome spoiler for anybody who doesn't know it in the comics and doesn't know anything else, but you could get to see, like, the Hulk and Wolverine fight. Yes, that and would be is... awesome. Yeah, and one of, like... It's, again, one of the big spoilers for that fight is at the end of it, you know, the Hulk can't kill Wolverine. Wolverine evidently can't kill the Hulk. And the Hulk just gets tired of fucking with him, rips Wolverine's legs off at the knees, and throws them over a fucking mountain. Yeah. And leaves. Because he's like, no. I actually have that comic issue. It's one of the few comics I own. And it's so gruesome, but it's great because he throws basically the two halves of wolverine on either sides of this mountain wolverine like scrapes himself up and goes where the fuck are my legs ah shit they're over there and he just crawls over to him <laughs> yeah yeah and and it's that like whole like i'm undefeated but i'm getting my ass beat here yeah like, so uh, i would love to see the x-men marvel universe 
make that crossover. And I think the best way they could do it is I think Fox and Marvel could come to some sort of shared universe agreement because Deadpool is fantastic. Oh Logan my God, was yeah. fantastic. They've got a horror X-Men movie coming out within the next year or few months. I don't remember. But Fox is making a horror X-Men movie that looks great. And then they're doing Deadpool 2, which will likely be good. So Fox has been really taking the franchise that they have and taking risks with it and making it more than just an average superhero movie. So I'm proud of Fox doing what they're doing. And I think there could be some sort of shared agreement with Marvel. That way Marvel can actually use the things that they originally created. Yes, and, and I'm hoping that it's more of a shared agreement rather than Marvel taking all the ownership back. Because I agree. as much as I love uh, Marvel doing what they do, they're still a Disney company. Mm-hmm. And they can't really step outside of that, like, giving the the high banner of Disney a bad name. I don't see them making a Marvel Zombies that's rated R. Right, right. I You know, I don't but see a rated R coming in. But having a shared something between Marvel and all of the other characters, that way everybody can interact and you can still do even more stories, kind of separates it being like, this isn't Disney running everything. It's Marvel teaming with another studio, like a whole nother company, and they're they're doing a thing. Yeah, I would be really down for a joint ownership of some sort. And that would be complicated, but I mean, it would work, I think. Oh, yeah. But yeah. As, as far as this film in particular is concerned, I would also put it in the top five. For me, Guardians of the Galaxy is probably my number one, kind of tying with Avengers. And then you have, like, Iron Man I thought was excellent. Um... Thor Ragnarok I thought was really good. There, There's a couple more that would play into that top five slot, but I definitely think that Thor Ragnarok deserves to be in that top five mention. Because yes. I really, really enjoyed it. And my mind might change over time, but for now, I thought it was great. Right, yeah, like, I, I'm not holding any specific spot because I want to see how Black Panther goes. Yeah, I have a lot of hopes for Black Panther. I think there's a lot of relevant issues especially with today's political environment and all the rampant racism. I think they have a really big opportunity to say something with the movie, and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, especially like um, that note can continue off of what Luke Cage has done so far, too. Yeah. You Luke know, Cage not... has done an awesome job. Yeah. It's ooh, the whole the whole series flow of Marvel's universe is working great, too. Mm hmm. And I think they should consent. They should continue pursuing the smaller characters with like Netflix team ups, because even though I, I don't watch a lot of these Netflix shows, I know a lot of people really enjoy them. And I think there's a lot of potential for creating a series using Marvel characters and then releasing it through a platform like Netflix. I mean, there's so many cool things you could do with that, and there's a, a lot of cool things they've already done. It's just a lot of the characters and stories haven't really been my thing here recently. Right, no, we, like, here at the house, we've been watching all of them so far. Like, if they come out, we're going right through them and getting yeah. to check out all the all the connections to everything else. Yeah, so in, in conclusion, Thor Ragnarok was an excellent film. Uh, in the in the episode's title, we will put spoilers, because we didn't mention that at the beginning. This <laughs> was 100% a spoiler, like, we went beat by beat, so. Yeah. Sorry, if you got this far without looking at the title. You should know better. <laughs> Read the title, I guess. Yeah. 
Especially but, with all the other spoilers we've done in other episodes up till now. Like, Yeah, we have a tendency to take critical looks at things, and you gotta spoil stuff when you do that. You just gotta. So, as we wrap up here, Zach, tell me what you've been playing or watching recently that's been kind of what you're... What are you into right now? Uh, well, I mean, as far as watching stuff, like, since we're on that... We're on a, a more movie-based episode, I, uh... We just wrapped up Season 2 of Stranger Things. Oh, like, yeah, I did too. Like, if you're not on the Stranger Things bus, you should definitely check it out. It's it's that really is, good. There's damn good television. Yeah, there's only a couple criticisms I would even have about it, and it's it's just solid. Like, mm-hmm. such such a good good thing. I don't want to spoil any of that, because it's still really fresh, too. Yeah, and but, I um, look forward to seeing what happens with that, because they've already got Seasons 3 and 4 signed on. Apparently, Telltale are going to make a game based in the, the universe. Oh. And I'm pretty certain Telltale is actually restructuring how they do things, so it might be really good. Oh, man, that's exciting. I'm mm-hmm. much more excited now. Um, Heard that yesterday. But uh, I guess aside from that, like Smite just had a new patch um, where they introduced the god Discordia. She's going to be a new mage that's really uh, a pain to play. She's just the epitome of harassing mages, from the look of things anyway. We'll see as time goes, but they released their second um, major RPG adventure style thing within Smite. They had uh, the Trials of King Hercules in like June, and now they have the Shadows over Hercopolis, which is the second part of that same adventure. Uh, we just started playing it today. It's got a much slower progression, so it's not like you could sit down and grind it out in a day or two. Like, yeah. But there's so much more to do. Like, there's that's an, cool. It's it's pretty solid. It was super received first, and I'm sure people are gonna just eat this one up too. Mm-hmm. And it's free, so if you're interested in checking some stuff out with it, by all means, download Smite on whatever platform you play on and pick it up and try it been a big advocate of smite in the in the wake of the loot box bullshit stream smite did it all right there's a couple things they do with their trend like their loot box systems that i'm not real big fans of but for the most part they do it they do it really well right you know and it's they're still pretty much on that strictly cosmetic grind of it and now Mm -hmm. they're giving you like free boxes for winning that give you little things like one of the hundreds and hundreds of emotes you can get from the stuff you earn in-game. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nothing that gives you the better power in a game. It's mm-hmm. still about that skill and about playing. Where Smite succeeds is that you can't get the same thing twice. What else you been playing, man? Uh, the new Call of Duty. Yeah, how's I, that going? I'm, I'm happy with it. Like, the last two that they had, they had Advanced Warfare, they had Infinite Warfare, and I thought they were both garbage. Uh-huh. Like... I've been kind of critical of COD forever. I loved Ghosts. Before that, I like kind of played a little bit of Modern Warfare 3 when I first got back into full gaming. Um, but World War II is awesome. It's back. There's no fancy fucking exosuits. You're not flying through the air at 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, it's back to people don't like campers, but I mean, you fucking sniper snipe. Like, you have to yeah, kind of sit still or... You run and gun and do quick scopes, and everybody hates that too. Like it's like if you hold a sniper rifle, you're the epitome of evil to people. But everything's nice. Like the games, you know, they're still working on balance because it's like week two, yeah, or not even week two. Maybe I'm not sure. It's a little confusing in there, but it's really good. 
the the game looks awesome like if your character dies like you even have like visceral parts like if you're blown up your leg might get blown up and you see your character fall dead and grab his like nub of a leg oh that's kind of interesting <laughs> it's you know gross and visceral but that's just another little nuance that i loved seeing that's cool um now have you put down destiny 2 yet or are you still playing that uh, we're still playing it, uh, we, especially with the expansion coming up, with uh, Osiris coming back. We're we're pretty excited. That's cool because I've been one of my neighbors plays it on PC, and we talk about it every now and again. And if it goes on sale for Cyber Monday, I very well may pick it up on PlayStation. I, I hope you do, because like you know, we and the guys have been playing Travis specifically too. He's been oh, playing Travis on, is playing. Yeah, Travis has been playing a lot of it. Oh man, I didn't know he was gaming again. Yeah, yeah. I might have to. I might have to get it. Yeah, grab it. Lauren's been playing with Travis more than I've ever seen Travis play in years. So that's it's, awesome. It's exciting. Now, on my end, I just recently finished the Dead Space trilogy. Uh, first of all, I got to give a huge shout out to our buddy John, who we went to school with. Um, he sent me a copy of Dead Space One because I couldn't find it locally and just didn't have the mind to order it i guess and he's like yo i got a copy i'll just send it to you so i played through all three dead space games i played two and three almost in one sitting for our big charity stream that we did it back in october so i streamed the whole thing i went back to one one was amazing two was pretty good three i'll never touch again <laughs> but other than that i've been real addicted to spending a lot of my just like oh, I'm, I'm home from work i just want to sit on the couch kind of time with the Godzilla films on Hulu. My my buddy, another shout out to my buddy Nathan Marshand and his co-host. They run a podcast called Kaiju Vision. Kaiju Vision Radio. I highly recommend that podcast. It's two hyper-intelligent people talking about Godzilla, not only as just the merits of the film, but also in like a political frame of mind. And like they, they really dissect those movies as super fans. And it's a, it's a great listen. I... I it got me so pumped about Godzilla, I sat down and watched, like, six of them. Oh, it, wow. It's great. So on Hulu, they've got the Millennium series and some of the Showa series, or Heisei series, or whatever. And I've been watching those. I've been thinking a lot about a Godzilla. Shin Godzilla, I thought, was phenomenal. It was such a cool film. And then, here recently, I was asked about doing a review for GU Last Recode, which is a collection of the GU games on PS2, re-releasing on PC and PS4. The cool thing about this game in particular is I played through the first volume and actually really enjoyed it, but I never got to play those games again. So I haven't thought about Dot .hack in like 10 years. And we were approached by Namco because I showed interest in it. I was like, oh, this would be cool to do for the site. And our editor, Andrew, gets back to me, and uh, our main PR guy. He says, hey, they, they want to send you a code but it's easier to send a PC code than it is a PS4 code. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I prefer PS4 if you can get it to me. But if it has to be Steam, I'll play it with my junk computer. It's fine. They, they send me the, the prompt or whatever, the, the press release that contains the code. It's got all the information you need to know about the basic features of the game. And attached in this code, I plop it into Steam and I get an error back. I'm like, what the hell? So I get to looking at it and I'm like... That doesn't look like a Steam code. It's not long enough. So I log into PlayStation, plug it into the PlayStation Store. I'm reviewing it on PS4 now by kind of accident, and it's awesome. 
There's oh, so much lore crammed into that game. And this package in particular not only has volumes 1, 2, and 3, which is hundreds of hours by itself, but it's also got all these little videos of that summarize the, the previous games, the anime, like all the just stuff. It is jam-packed. And then it has an additional chapter that never came out. We have volume 4 for .hack GU. I don't necessarily know the story behind it yet. I haven't looked up if it was like one they were planning to release or didn't make it to American shores or what have you. But it, it's a very value-packed package for me. And if you're into JRPGs, I gotta recommend .hack GU because I have a feeling if this sells well, they'll either A, remaster the original series, which is hard to come by because they're expensive as hell, and two, maybe they'll make a new series. Maybe .hack will come back. And that's a really cool, cool show. It's got a lot of philosophical stuff. It did the whole having the be in a video game thing well before Sword Art Online did it. It's kind of the original, like, popular version of that. It, it's a lot, a lot of really cool art. It's, it's a cool series. I'm really enjoying playing through it. And I'm almost at the end of the first volume. So after this, everything's new. That That's cool, man. I, I picked up Dot .hack the animes and started watching through them and then I realized that you still had to play the games to really know what was going on so I kind of gave up because there's a lot of anime and a lot of game it's very very dense yeah and but I love it like that whole the whole gaming universe like being stuck in it kind of thing was awesome like I love it's... sword art but that oh, dot hack and log horizon have so far like taken the cake for me yeah and the cool thing about dot hack is that it, it's super relatable because at that time of its release, MMOs were huge. World of Warcraft was the most popular game out there. So the fact that they're inside of an MMO was like really easy to relate to. Now don't get me wrong, the game itself actually playing it, nothing to write home about. It's a very basic JRPG. And some of the character interactions are lacking to say the best. But as a whole, it's a really valuable package. Especially like... What's it releasing for, like, cost-wise right now? 60 No, $50. And that's not... com compared to the old stuff? Oh, my God, that's a steal. Yeah, because if you go to buy just Volume 1 alone on PS2, that's a $50 to $60 purchase by itself. If you try to get the previous series, a single volume is like $150. And they never released them digitally, so, I mean, this is a great opportunity. So, I recommend it. If, if you're into anime, JRPGs, MMOs, it's... It, it, once again, it's just... It's the most bang for your buck on the market currently in recent memory. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a deal. Definitely should go get that. Like I don't, I haven't even played them, and just crunching the head stuff. It's oh, it, it, it make a great Christmas gift. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Somebody's gonna have a lot of time on their hands taken away. <laughs> I miss being a teen, not having to worry about stuff, and just hanging out and playing games. This is why I need to make money doing this. We could just make a living off the podcast or make a living doing writing for games. Like, I would be set. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, and it, and it mm. almost happened. I had a job offer the other day for, to be an editor for a major magazine. And the only reason I didn't get it is because the guy above him was like, eh, he lives in Alaska. That seems inconvenient. Oh, that's sad, I, man. Even though it was an Internet job, I was like, oh, whatever. I mean, I might do some work for them part time. I'm not even going to mention who it was. I don't even know who it was, to be honest with you. I just know that it's a fairly reputable magazine, and it would have been awesome. But whatever. Maybe they'll call me back. Maybe I'll end up doing it. Either way, I might do some contract work for them. Hey, there you go, man. 
But Zach, where are we finding you online, man? Where where can we find the Zach? Alright, you're still gonna find me on about everything. So, you know, from PS4 to fucking Snapchat, Twitter, uh, with my exquisite liar handle. And it's all one word. It's a little complicated to spell for most people. I'm really surprised most people can say the word when they can say it. I'm pretty happy about that. But <laughs> the only exception to this rule is on Twitter, it's exquisite underscore liar. Yeah, and that's my only exception as well. You find me at Forever Classic 5 pretty well anywhere. We've got our Facebook page under the Forever Classic Hub. We've got a Discord link in the show notes. And on Twitter, I am number Forever Classic. So Forever Classic 105. And other than that, we do wholeheartedly, if, you, if you've if you got a a, uh, a recommendation for us, maybe there's a particular guest you'd like to see on the show, send us an email to theforeverclassicpodcast at gmail.com. That is our general feedback, get in touch with us email. Alright, so that was Thor Ragnarok. It's a good freaking movie, go see it. Until then, everybody, stay cool. Music today was Ambient Loop 3 by Essa. Now, now. Spoilers.